This is The Blunt Doctor Show. On a Friday, following the trade deadline, which was an insane day, a day so insane and so filled with trades and various moves, some buyout situations that resulted a whole bunch of shit that I was far too busy dancing to Earth, Wind, and Fire and drinking tequila to actually, you know, record this podcast. So my bad. It's on me. But also, in my defense, um, if you ever have the opportunity to drink tequila and listen to Earth, Wind, and Fire, you should do that. And you should skip any work thing that you have, and you should just do that instead. It's better. So I feel like that's an appropriate defense of the decision that I made. Um, I lived in my own boogie wonderland, if you will, which was not at all destroyed by all of the moves made. My Phoenix Suns made no moves, which is what I was hoping for. I was worried that they might panic and try to overpay for some player to boost their chances who ultimately may not. Um, I was glad they did not do that. The Tory Craig move ended up being the Suns move, and that was the best move that we could have made, acquiring a player for virtually nothing who can play defense, shoot threes, switch on defense, and just essentially be a part of your playoff rotation, again, for literally nothing. That's the move that you make, and we made it just short of the deadline, so good on James Jones for making the right decision, and then again making the right decision for not panicking. That's two right decisions, by the way. There was one very sad note yesterday. Um not actually related to the NBA, and that is the passing of Jessica Walter, who I know best as Lucille Bluth from Arrested Development. And that is just basically one of the best roles, one of the best jobs that anyone has done in the history of television, truthfully. Like, there just aren't a lot of people who did a better job than Jessica Walter did as Lucille Bluth. And I know that she did a lot of other things, and, you know, we can't pigeonhole her as one... You know, for one role that she did, but um, it's tough. Honestly, it's tough because she's someone who I've been watching for, you know, I came to Arrested Development a little late, but that's still someone who for the last 15 years I thought was one of the funniest people in comedy, just a great actress in general. She killed every single thing she ever did and every bit part I've ever seen her in anything else. She was awesome. I can't think of all of them off the top of my head just her her role as lucille bluth was like it's like a tour de force performance you know what i mean like whatever whatever the hell that actually means whatever that phrase means she gave it every single time she was on screen as lucille bluth her character was diabolically evil and enchanting and just the best i, I love arrested development it's one of my favorite shows ever and lucille bluth is one of, if not the best character on the show. I mean, basically, universally, everyone agrees that Lucille Bluth is, you know, a top two, if not the best character on the show. You know, I, you can have your arguments for your favorite character or whatever, but everyone fucking loves, you know, Lucille Bluth. And, and her character is just incredible. And that's just what Jessica Walter was. She was a phenomenal actress. And it sucks. It just sucks. Um... And this is just one of those, it bums me out because she's just someone who like, you know, really impacted me. Like I've written screenplays, I've written, you know, sitcom pilots and things like that. And no, I've never been able to sell one in Hollywood. Damn you, my agent. Anyway, the point is when you write, 
you think about people, you know, you think about actors and actresses that you would love to play, you know, central characters and things that you write. And if you were ever writing, you know, like in, you know, a sort of evil matriarchal character, I mean, yeah, this is Jessica Walter. And so it just sucks. It's sad. Um, it also means there's no theoretical possibility of any future arrested development, anything, which was unlikely anyway, but you know, just still crossed my mind, of course. And it's just sad, you know, and I, I do a lot of RIP things on this show for people that, you know, mean something to me. And it's not because I want to always start with something negative or I feel the need to always do some sort of audio obituary or something. But I just think that, you know, when someone impacts you, it's important to say that or it's important to tell people that or it's just important to be open about that. Like, you know, for me especially, let's just go into it real quick. Let's just talk about this for a moment. Like, truthfully, those of you who know me intimately know about my gender identity issues. Some people may not know that. You might be hearing that for the first time right now. Good for fucking you. You don't know me that well. But as a person who considers themselves gender fluid, I have had a lot of trouble figuring out my relationship to male role models and female role models. Just truthfully. It's a difficult thing to figure out. And so when there's a strong woman like Lucille Bluth who is such a horrible person, but portrayed by a real strong woman like Jessica Walter, who is a great person. It affects you. It impacts you. And it's something that you can always remember and look up to in, you know, times of whatever. And so for me, that's always been a complicated problem is how do you balance that between not knowing who I am inside, looking one way in a mirror, feeling one way when you look in a mirror. All of these things are very real. And so... Sometimes there are really strong people who stick out to you that provide a sort of archetype. Not that you necessarily want to be. I'm not talking about, oh, I wish I could be Lucille Bluth. I'm just saying that you see a strong woman like Jessica Walter and you're like, damn, that impresses me. And so that is a way that I always felt about her. I always loved, respected, and was impressed by her for every moment that I, like, I literally can't even sit here and tell you how many Lucille Bluth lines I just run around quoting so it's just it sucks um and yeah I don't know I don't know what else to really say about it I'm just disappointed it's sad it's life it's life and it's been our life for 2020 and 2021 is just these constant goddamn people that we love passing away and that's part of life it's part of the world but that doesn't mean that I don't want to sit here and say that this is someone you know that I loved and looked up to because I do and did and a banana is $10 forever. That's a dumbass thing to say, but I think Arrested Development fans will get it. In any way, in any case, let's just go ahead and dive into this NBA stuff, why don't we? Adrian Wojnarowski said that this was the most active trade deadline in something like 35 years. And... That's pretty much what it felt like. Aside from like the 2015 trade deadline or whatever it was when Dragic was dealt from the Suns to the Heat and all that other shit happened. I think it was 2015. Um, aside from that trade deadline, this is like the most active trade deadline that I can remember. And a ton of things happened. A lot of really interesting things happened. Not necessarily like mega blockbusters. You know, there was no Bradley Beal trade. We didn't see 
you know, all of the biggest potential trades that we could have seen. Kyle Lowry ended up staying put, which was something that was fairly shocking. There was actually a lot of footage. Um, there was like an, a, a screenshot on Twitter circulating a couple nights ago of Kyle Lowry the night before the trade deadline. And he was like waving and crying to the cameras, essentially. And it looked like he knew he was going to be traded. And, you know, that sort of tracks with everything that we had heard that Kyle Lowry was going to be traded. The interesting thing is that Brian Windhorst said that he believed that Kyle Lowry was going to have a contract in place, whether it be a Raptors extension or, you know, with a new team. And, you know, he also said that didn't necessarily mean it would be signed, but that it would be agreed to. So given the fact that Kyle Lowry was not traded and there has been enough at least leaking that um, there would be some sort of, you know, contract agreement, it makes me think that Kyle Lowry is going to stay with um, the Raptors. And the interesting thing is, we'll just go ahead and start with the trade that the Raptors did end up making on top of that. Um, and that was the Norm Powell to Portland uh, trade, which netted uh, the Toronto Raptors, Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood. Now, I'm just going to quote my man Jabari, who I reference often on this podcast, as he said, can I love this trade for both teams without everyone getting angry? Because <laughs> really, this is just a good trade for both teams. Because here's the thing. As much as we all like Gary Trent Jr., and we do, and as nice as Rodney Hood has been at moments, and he has been, I don't think either of those players are good enough to say, you can't make this trade. And some people were saying, you can't give up Gary Trent Jr. You know, I understand that from some perspective. And... The Rodney Hood thing, he's had some nice moments for the Blazers. But I think that here's what Portland is thinking in this scenario. This is what I think they're thinking. And, you know, again, this is my opinion. But as we know, every single time that Portland is in the playoffs, it essentially comes down to what can Dame do? What can CJ do? What can they do together? It's all about Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum. And I mean, Nurkic has had some nice moments, but for the most part, he's been hurt more than he's been able to be available for them in big moments. And I know that they've added Robert Covington. That's going to be a really nice defensive piece. I like that. But the simple fact of the matter has been that the, for the majority of moments in Portland Trailblazers playoff history, if Dame and CJ are not on the court, the offense craters. If one of them is on the court, it survives a little bit. But essentially, those two guys do everything. They carry everything. And sure, there's been the Zach Collins game, and there was the Myers-Leonard game. Man, fuck Myers-Leonard, by the way. That dude's a piece of shit. I'm glad to see him cut. I hope he never fucking plays in the league again. Fuck that dude. Fuck that dude. Fuck that dude. I don't... There's no way he didn't know what he was saying. I don't... He, like, sat there and, like, went through his... Fuck, fuck Myers-Leonard, man. Fuck that guy. Anyone who talks that way... Anyone who says that, just just fuck these people. Anyone who says that kind of shit, just like, whatever. You you all know. You all agree with me. Fuck Myers Leonard. Anyway, there were all these various games of like role players having their moment. There was the Rodney Hood game. You know, there's been the this game. There's been the Gary Trent game. All those things have occurred. The simple fact of the matter is that Norm Powell was a key role player in a championship team. And for all of the, you know, Kawhi and Kyle Lowry and Marcus Gasol and everyone played their part. But everyone will forget that Norm Powell bagged a ton of threes against the Warriors. He really, really helped the Raptors bench minutes just stay afloat, just keep pushing the Warriors out. And by the way, it wasn't not it wasn't just against the Warriors. It was also against the Bucks. Norm Powell continually rained threes against both the Bucks and the Warriors, helping the Raptors win the championship. He is for years now been a dead eye shooter. 
And so if you're Portland, and I understand that, you know, Norm Powell's not going to do a ton of creation. He can do some creation. I understand he's not going to do a ton of that. You know, I get that. But let's say that you're always having an elite dead-eye shooter on the floor. Because now you always have Dame, or you always have CJ, or you always have Norm. And maybe it has to be rotated, and you've got to figure out how to get the guard minutes, or, you know, can Anthony Simons, you know, whatever the case may be. The point is that the Blazers have said, we know that we are really good when we've got one of our dead eyes on the floor, but we are cratering in the minutes when they're not there, and we struggle a little bit more in the minutes when it's only one of them. This is Portland essentially saying you're always going to have two dead eyes on the floor because if you structure the playoff minutes correctly, you can essentially always have Damon CJ or Damon Norm or CJ and Norm on the floor. You can You can essentially always do that. Especially given that, you know, playoff benches are so short and there may be a minute or two here and there. Someone's in foul trouble. Things change. I understand all that. But the point is for everyone who is sitting there and saying that, well, you know, we love Gary Trent Jr. long term. I understand all those things. But this guy's a dead eye shooter right now on a team friendly contract. This is a reasonable move to make, especially given that, you know, that one of your primary flaws is bench minutes in the playoffs. And this is a bench minutes in the playoffs move. And like, does this put Portland over the top or something? No, I I understand that thought process. But I think that people are forgetting that not every move you make is necessarily about this season. And not every move you make is necessarily about, is this the final piece in the championship? If Dame Lillard says, I want another shooter, I need another guy to help me. Then you go get him that guy. And maybe it's not perfect, but the point is that Dame Lillard is committed to Portland. And if he says, these people are expendable to me, I need this. Because you know Dame Lillard signed off on this trade. Let's be honest. So if Dame says he wants that or accepts it or likes it and says, this is something that I can work with, then you do it. And maybe it doesn't necessarily put Portland in championship contention this year, but I really don't think it hurts. I mean... You look at this scenario, you've got Dame, CJ, now you've got Norm Powell, you've got Rocco. You know, things are starting to come together. And if this team can get healthy, you know, I, it's not perfect. But I don't understand how adding a dead-eye shooter on a team-friendly contract is a bad idea. I'll never see that. That's always a good idea. And... Especially given that, you know, the guys who have been on Portland's roster have not necessarily, like Rodney Hood's been there. Gary Trent Jr. has been there. And I know he hasn't been there long, but he's been there a little bit and they didn't get over the hump. It's not that they made themselves appear to be incredible standouts that you couldn't get rid of. Again, Norm Powell has been a championship role player. I just think this is a really good trade for Portland because I understand why they're doing it. And from the Toronto perspective, I also understand why they're doing it. Rodney Hood has never been the defender that we would need to be like a really great NBA player. And he's never been consistent enough on offense. (laughs) If there were any team that could ever unlock that, it would be Toronto. Just truthfully. Like they've unlocked things in players that other people thought were long lost. And 
If the whole deal for Toronto was simply to acquire Gary Trent because they believe that they can turn Gary Trent into much more than what Portland could have, then again, it's still worth it. Norm Powell was on a team-friendly contract, sure. But Toronto's not contending for anything in the next couple of years. And that's why I find it interesting that they didn't trade Kyle Lowry. Um, I know that they may still, well, we still got Lowry and we have Siakam and OG. And, you know, maybe they think that next year they can retool. And knowing Masai, maybe they can. And maybe that's just the point is Masai figures he can retool Find a way to add another player. He's one of the smartest GMs in the league. I'm sure that he can figure something out. I'm not smarter than Masai Ujiri. I'm not even in his stratosphere. So I'm not even going to try to criticize that thought process. But I do still think it's interesting that they would trade a guy on a team-friendly contract. And it certainly indicates that they like Gary Trent Jr. a lot. And maybe he positionally fits what they want to do over the next few years from not only just that positional perspective, but from a player growth perspective and from a prospect perspective, you can understand the thought process. I still think it's an interesting trade, but overall, like this is one of those rare trades I think everyone wins. Like I don't think anyone made out poorly in this trade at all. I think that Portland acquired a dead-eye shooter who can help float their offense in the playoffs, and I think that Toronto acquired uh, you know, a young prospect forward who they might be able to build into more than he would have otherwise been. And I think that they acquired a nice role player in Rodney Hood, who Nick Nurse is going to be able to find a way to use better than other teams might, even if, you know, maybe this is not going to be a long-term thing. Who knows how it ends up working out? But I like this trade. I like this trade for both teams. And I think it's pretty rare that you can actually say, hey, this is a good trade for everyone. You typically have a winner and a loser, right? Everyone you look at both trades and say, you know, who won this one? Who stole from who? And in this case, I just think this is a really good scenario for both teams because I think Portland has more aspirations this season than Toronto does. And I don't think there's anything wrong with going for things this season, by the way. This is a weird year. You simply don't ever know what's going to occur. A lot of weird things have happened in the history of sports. You just don't know. And if there's a trade that makes you better now in a situation when you have a pair of incredible players, then you do that. So I just don't think there's any scenario where you can look at this as a bad trade for Portland, regardless of what Gary Trent might be. Because it's not as if Gary Trent has shown like, oh my God, this dude's going to be a megastar. He's 22 years old and he's very nice. He's a very nice player, but he's not LeBron or something. So You've got to be able to give Portland the benefit of the doubt that they know Gary Trent very well and they believe that a dead-eye shooter who's a few years older but a little more on their timeline is going to provide them more value. Again, especially when, look at his contract, it's team-friendly. You like that. So, you see all these things? I just like this move for both teams. I think this is a really good timeline move for both teams. I think this is a move that fits what everyone wants to do and shout to Jabari for being willing to say that in the aftermath of it coming my first reaction, truthfully, was I like this trade more for Portland than I did for Toronto. Like, I think Gary Trent Jr. is a nice player, um, but I love what Norm Powell brings to Portland as a shooter. But then you sit here and think about, well, look at what Portland has done with um, player development. It's been good, but not like elite, you know, not phenomenal. But then you look at what Toronto has done with player development, and it's been like incredible. Like, we know what... Portland did with Damon CJ, but since then it's been, eh, it's been okay. But Toronto consistently has developed really good players and Gary Trent Jr. is still young enough that they might really be able to develop him. So from everyone's perspective, it makes sense. And maybe from Portland's perspective, you know, hire a, you know, a player development coach who's as good as David Vanterpool was, you know, that's, that's what that was. In any case, 
I like this move. It's a strong B. I mean, it's not an A. No one's acquiring a championship-level player. But both teams are acquiring players who fit well into their timelines and fit well into their systems. And there's no way to judge that as bad or even average. This is a rare trade that is like an upgrade for both teams, in my opinion. I just think it fits really well into what both teams are trying to do. And this is a strong B for both teams. If somehow either team wins a championship based on this trade, it becomes an A-plus for them. You know, if the Blazers somehow make the Western Conference Finals this year, I'm bumping this thing up to like a B-plus or an A. But no matter what, it's it's a good trade. I like this trade for both teams. And it's rare, and I'm happy to see it. Probably the biggest trade of the day was Nikola Vucevic going from the Orlando Magic to the Chicago Bulls for Wendell Carter Jr. and two first-round picks protected 1-4 through four in 2021 and 2023. Um, this trade was fairly shocking. Um, it seemed like Orlando really loved Vooch and it would require like a more monster offer. Like I'm surprised they did it for the picks protected one through four. I would have like, I would have thought one of those picks would have been unprotected. Um, I'm not shocked for the one through four in 2021, given the super draft and the bulls desire to have that pick. But like, I wouldn't have been shocked if say, for example, if it had been an unprotected 2023 pick that Orlando had demanded. Um, but they relented and, you know, maybe they like Wendell Carter Jr. Um, you know, Wendell Carter Jr. came out in, you know, the eight and Doncic draft. And there were some people who were like, well, he's going to be better. And, you know, some people said, well, it's Jared Jackson Jr. And some people said it's Aiton. Well, some people said it's Carter. There was literal, there literally were people who liked Carter most out of all the centers in that draft. Truthfully, I'm not making that up. Um, but it hasn't worked out that way really at all. Uh, Wendell Carter has, you know, it just hasn't been what anyone thought for him in the NBA, but, um, the magic sure do love their big men. So who knows what, um, he might theoretically be there, you know, for the magic, you're acquiring a couple of, you know, premium picks. There could be five, uh, franchise changers in this draft. So if you end up with the fifth pick in this draft, um, it's okay that you didn't get a top four. It's understandable. Um, again, the 2023 draft, I really would have demanded that that pick had been unprotected to trade Vooch if I was, Orlando. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. They made the trade they made. Um, you know, the Wendell Carter thing, again, I would have demanded Lowry Markinen. Like, if I was going to get two picks, one through four, I'm taking Lowry Markinen. And from everyone I have talked to um, who is an, you know, insider type, that was, there was no way that, uh, because the Bulls thought Lowry Markinen had more value than that. Um, so, you know, I don't, I, I find it interesting. I would have, I think if I'm the magic, I would have been happy with this one through four protected 2021 pick and an unprotected 2023 pick and Wendell Carter. That's the trade I would have wanted. I think that they failed a little bit. Um, and I also, to be fair, I'm erring on the side of a friend of mine at underscore a guy named John J O N Twitter friend of mine who loves the magic more than anyone. Um, he hated this trade and, you know, Magic fans are going to hate it because they love Vooch. I don't think it's a terrible trade, but I understand the perspective of, you know, when you're trading a dude who, you know, even though he's a little bit older, Vooch's game is going to age really well. He fits in really well with the modern NBA. He's a totally modern center. Um, you need to really get a blue chip trade prospect. And Wendell Carter is simply not that. 
And, you know, despite the Bulls are probably not going to be one through four this year. Um, they may be just because of the way that the odds have been flattened. But um, if you would, okay, another scenario. Let's say that the pick this year was protected top one to two, but Orlando could get it if it was three or above. That's a much better trade. This is a trade where the Bulls won. They got the better player and they gave up assets without having to give up any of their best assets. This is like when you see a baseball team like acquire a star player from another team, but they don't give up like any of their players that are top 10 prospects. And you're just like, how the hell? Like the Bulls managed to give up two first round picks, but not if they really, really matter. And they managed to give up the worst of their two big man prospects. Now, supposedly the Bulls think that Markinen and Vujovic can't play together. Vucevic can't play together. I don't actually think that's true. I actually think they can play together. And I think this could actually be a scenario that opens things up for Lowry Markinen. Because think about this for a minute. The Bulls have been trying to figure it out. Like for a moment, they had Jabari Parker. They had Otto Porter, also part of this trade. Um, essentially... The Bulls have been trying to figure out the big man rotation forever, and it was very clear that it wasn't working. Now, I know that Markinen and Vucevic both kind of want to play from the outside, but they both still have moves inside too, especially Vucevic is good inside. So if you've got two guys who can do a little bit of both and mix it up, I don't see how this is bad for the Bulls. And I know that they're not necessarily wanting to sign Markinen to a big contract this summer. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes, but I actually think Vucevic and Markinen pair together a lot better than people may be giving them credit for. And we might actually be seeing a Bulls team that's going to be a little bit better than they thought. You can go back to the beginning of this season. And I said that Zach Levine was playing better than he ever did. I said that dating back to this preseason. I said that shit. And it's been proven true. Levine is having the best season of his career. We all know it. He's been an all-star. And so that's why you pair him with Vucevic. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that everyone who sits here and says, well, there's no way that... He and Markinen can play together. They both want to play. No, they can both do a little bit of both. And if this is something that opens up Markinen because they have to double Vucevic more or at least commit better defenders to Vucevic, there's no way this was a bad trade for the Bulls. They held on to their youngest prospect in Pat Williams from this year's draft. Again, they held on to a top four pick in a draft that might have five players. So if they have the fifth pick, maybe, you know, that could be bad, but still they held on to that. And who knows what the 2023 draft is going to end up being at this point, but they held on to an elite potential pick there as well. And again, they gave up the worst of the two guys that they had on the trade block. There's really no way to look at this as a loss for Chicago. This is a win, but you can look at this and say, Orlando didn't do every single thing that they could have. And so like, this is one of those things where if I'm just going to grade it and I'm just throwing grades out right here, on my intoxication scale. So take it for whatever it is. But in any case, like this is like a C plus for the magic for me, but it's a B plus for the bulls. That's kind of how I, I view it. Like this is a potential huge upgrade for the bulls. This is a dude who could take the bulls to a level that they haven't seen in a very long time. This is a bigger upgrade than anyone got in the Norm Powell trade, for example. This is That's why this is a B plus. And if the bulls, make like an Eastern Conference final sort of thing, then suddenly this is an A minus. This is a great trade for the Bulls. It's an okay trade for Orlando, but it should have probably been better. So it's like one of those things that could be a C plus. Maybe they end up killing the draft picks and making it better. Who knows? We'll see. But for now, I would have expected a little bit more given how good Vooch has been for Orlando. And I think that the Bulls just killed this one. So 
if you're a Boston Celtics fan, I'm going to just go ahead and do you a favor and tell you, turn this off. Because you're about to turn it off. I am fucking tired of hearing about Celtics trade rumors. I'm fucking tired about hearing about Celtics trade possibilities. I'm fucking tired about hearing about Celtics trade machines. I'm fucking tired of hearing about all of it. Because every single fucking one of us knows how this is going to go. Is that the Celtics will not make a big trade. And then they will leak how close they were to making a big trade. And it happened again. And this time they leaked it to fucking NBC Sports Talk. Like, really? Of all places? Kurt Heelan? That's who you leaked it to? That's how little anyone cares about, like, the Celtics rumors anymore. Because we all know how this is going to go. They were unwilling to trade for Kawhi Leonard because they thought it would be a rental. They were unwilling to trade for Anthony Davis because they thought he would be a rental. Over and over again, they've been unwilling to make the moves necessary. They traded for Kyrie. They deserve credit for that. That trade was actually good. They didn't even really give up a whole lot. Colin Sexton has become a good player, but Isaiah Thomas has, like, never been in the league again. You know, overall, that trade was pretty good. I know that Kyrie left, but still, you got two years of Kyrie for... I mean, if Colin Sexton becomes a 10-time All-Star, then you fucked up, I guess. But they lost Kyrie because the cultural problems. So, I don't know. In any case, every single year, Boston leaks how they're going to trade for the best player available. And every single year, they don't do it. And then every single year, they leak how they almost did it. And they did it again with Aaron Gordon. But this time, not only did they leak about how they were so close with Aaron Gordon, but they traded for Aaron Gordon's less good, less expensive teammate, Evan Fournier. Not less expensive in terms of salary, actually, interestingly enough. They're about, they're like very close in terms of salary, but less expensive in terms of um, talent acquisition costs, right? They only had to give up a pair of second round picks. You're giving up a first-round pick and young guys or whatever, uh, an acquisition cost for Aaron Gordon. So despite the, you know, their salaries are pretty close. You acquire a guy for only two second-round picks, and you can understand that. Boston needs some help with the offense. Evan Fournier makes some sense. I'm not, you know, it's not terrible. I'm not, like on the surface, if you just, if you only told me Boston acquired Evan Fournier, for two second round picks. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. That's fine. Like, there's there's nothing wrong with that at all on the surface. The problem is, is that they've been leaking for weeks that they were going to trade for Aaron Gordon. And then when they didn't trade for Aaron Gordon, they leaked how close they were to trading for Aaron Gordon. <laughs> you just do it again and again and over and over. And at a certain point, it's like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, Boston has had the assets multiple times to trade for every top player in the league and take a risk on that player leaving. Maybe you... I understand the Anthony Davis thing, and I, I understand the Kawhi Leonard thing. Like, those two dudes, like, they both were pretty much just like, I want to live in Los Angeles. Like, I understand that. Paul George signed on to stay in Oklahoma City. And I know that he he eventually asked for a trade and all that stuff, but, like, if Paul George was willing to stay in Oklahoma fucking city, you can't tell me he wouldn't have been willing to stay in Boston. I simply don't believe that. 
And I also don't believe for any second that there was no possibility that any, there have been plenty of other guys that you could trade for. And by the way, you know what? If you win a championship, like let's say you trade for Kawhi Leonard and Boston wins the title. Is anyone mad about that if Kawhi leaves? Like maybe, maybe some people are pissed, but this game is all about rings. And Danny Ainge has been acquiring assets forever to supposedly build a super team to whatever, etc. And essentially what he has come up with is two years of Kyrie and two really good draft picks. They nailed it with Tatum and Brown. But they've blown every other asset, essentially. This is a team that could have and should have been a super team. There was no trades available. There's no way to acquire Bradley Beal at any point throughout any of this that has ever occurred, really. You've never had the assets to do that. And maybe you might say, well, Beal's not the guy that you know fits with Tatum and Brown because we want Brown to play guard and, and you know, Tatum, whatever. I think that, I think Beal... Brown and Tatum at 2-3-4 would be awesome. Whatever the case may be. You can make all kinds of arguments for all time. But they played it all wrong. And now they've got Kemba Walker on a contract that they can't deal with. And it just, everything's gone wrong. And so what do they do in this scenario? They don't acquire Aaron Gordon, who they absolutely could have acquired, for picks that don't even have that much value and young players who are barely going to play for them. They absolutely could have acquired Aaron Gordon. And instead, they get they get Evan Fournier because they basically have to give up nothing to get Evan Fournier. Fine enough. And then they flip Daniel Tice, who has actually been good for them, for Mo Wagner. Like, why would you do that? What are you doing? Why would you do that? Dude, if you want to get rid of Tristan Thompson or you want to change up that rotation or whatever and you want to make Time Lord the starter, I understand that. I understand how good Robert Williams has been. I understood all of that. But why are you just dumping a good player for... A nothing put like I don't even what like what is the Tice Mo Wagner thing do? Well, Wagner's a better shooter. Okay. Is he gonna play it all for you in the playoffs? Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like Danny Ainge makes these fringe moves that are supposed to impress us or something, and it just it's infuriating as hell. He won't make the move that they should make. Aaron Gordon fits perfect into Boston. Literally every single one of us knew it, and instead he let him go to Denver. And by the way, the Aaron Gordon fit in Denver is perfect. The Jokic and Gordon pick and roll is going to be a fucking nightmare. But that's not the point. The point is that we all have to sit here every year and listen to how Boston's going to do this and going to do that. And they're the front runners in this trade and the front runners in that and blah, 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 blah. And they've got so many people in the media that leak all of this bullshit. And then they never do anything or they do these fringe moves. And we're just supposed to be impressed. Look, if you want to do fringe moves, leak that you're going to do fringe moves. Stop leaking that you're going to make the biggest move every single year and then never doing it because it's fucking pathetic. And by the way, I love my Celtics fan friends. I really do because a lot of them are Patriots fans. We go back a long way. I really do love and respect those people. But please stop talking about your organization as if you've won a title in the last 13 years because you haven't. It's a little bit frustrating <laughs> listening to Celtics fans refer to their organization as the best organization in the league because of their number of titles or whatever. I understand all of those things, but you last won one 13 years ago. And before that, I don't even remember what it was. Most of the Celtics history is very much in the past. And despite the fact that no one is ever going to come close to Bill Russell's eight in a row, I understand that. And I understand how legendary that is. And even in that short span with, you know, the few amount of teams, whatever it was, that's incredible. It doesn't matter. It's an amazing thing. I understand it. But Celtics fans have got to bail out a little bit and stop acting like they are the premier franchise in the league at all times because the simple fact of the matter is it's not true anymore. 
It's starting to read a little bit like Knicks fans who championed their titles in the 70s as whatever. Now, of course, Knicks fans are a joke, and Celtics fans could never be a joke on the level of Knicks fans because they have like nine times as many titles. I understand that. I get that. But we have to stop making Celtics media the forefront of every single thing that goes on because they simply believe every single thing that they're told by a person who lies to them. Whoever it is in the Celtics front office that leaks all this bullshit is fucking lying. And every single year we have to listen to it. We have to hear it at the forefront. They're going to do this and they're going to do this and they're going to do this and they're going to do, and they don't. And we're all simply tired of hearing it. Okay. I think it's bullshit that the Lakers leaked that they were about to acquire Kyle Lowry. Okay. I think that was bullshit. And I tweeted that that was bullshit and it absolutely was bullshit. They were never going to give up the multiple assets that Masai Ujiri would have required for them to acquire Kyle Lowry. It was never going to happen, okay? But I don't have to hear at all times how the Lakers are at the forefront of every single trade negotiation. Like, seriously, as 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 douchebaggy as the Lakers organization is and how they are in every mention in every free agent negotiation, like... You simply don't hear that the Lakers are front runners in every single trade negotiation and then they do nothing. The Lakers make moves at the very least. They fucking made the Anthony Davis trade. Okay. They got LeBron James. Like, I'm not saying that that wasn't helped by their situation, but the simple fact of the matter is that every single year in the offseason, well, the Celtics are the front runners at trade deadline. Well, the Celtics are the front runners. In the playoffs after they're eliminated, well, the Celtics will be front runners. I'm sick of hearing it. I'm really sick of hearing it. I'm really fucking sick of hearing it. And the Daniel Tice trade is stupid. That's how I feel. And the Evan Fournier trade is smart. But when you've been leaking for weeks that you're going to trade for Aaron Gordon, and then you trade for Evan Fournier, please excuse me when I'm not thrilled. Because I don't care about what points or whatever. Aaron Gordon is a better, more impactful player than Evan Fournier. Everyone agrees with that. You traded for the worst player. Please stop trying to make me sit here and laud you. And that's what the Celtics want. They want to sit here and be like, oh, but we only gave up two second round picks for Evan Fournier. So fucking what? There was a better player who fit into your player playoff rotation better. And like maybe Evan Fournier will be great with the Celtics. I actually think he fits in well. I'm not even criticizing that move. I'm criticizing the Celtics organizational approach of always pitching and promising the best and then under delivering and then expecting praise. <laughs> the Lakers were lambasted for being one of the worst organizations in the league for six straight years and then they delivered LeBron. Okay. The Lakers were trashed for that. And somehow the Celtics, I'm supposed to like, <laughs> like, like, please understand, I fucking hate both of these teams, okay? Like, my love of Tom Brady and the Patriots or whatever has nothing to fucking do with how I feel about basketball. And I am a Suns fan, and I fucking hate both of these teams, okay? I hate the Celtics and I hate the Lakers, and I think they both fucking suck. Fuck them both. That's how I feel, okay? Fuck them both. That's literally how I feel. Ask my Lakers fan friends. Jabari and I, one of my closest, no, that's not true my only Lakers fan friends, he and I have both pissed each other off because we said a bunch of shit. It's happened more than once because that's how it goes because I hate the Lakers and he has a phenomenal history of championships and I don't on my team. So I talk shit and he's like, oh, well, what about this? And I get mad 
Or when I make fun of when the Lakers aren't doing well, he gets testy with me because the Lakers suck for a decade. It's how it goes, right? That's trash talk. That's NBA trash talk. It's fine. I fucking hate both of these teams. So none of this isn't personal in any way. But please stop pitching me about how you're the this. I'm the leader in the clubhouse and I'm going to do this and I'm going to change the game and I'm going to acquire every player. And we know that these players want to play for us. That's how the Knicks talk. That's how the Knicks talk to the media. And the Knicks are a joke. And I'm supposed to take the Celtics seriously. So if the Celtics want to be taken seriously, please stop leaking about how you're the leaders in the clubhouse for everything and then doing nothing. It's very simple. Leak how you're the leaders in the clubhouse of something and then do it. Do the thing that you say you're going to do. Make the trade. Give up the extra asset. Winning every single trade is not the goal. Winning the championship is the goal. And guess what? It's perfectly fine to lose a trade so long as that trade nets you the player that helps you win a championship. And the fact that people can't understand that concept is what sort of makes me hate Celtics fans sometimes. I do think there's a sort of Boston sports thing where if you disagree with anything anyone in Boston sports does, you're not a real fan. That's bullshit. It was stupid of the Patriots to let Tom Brady go. And it is stupid of the Celtics to not give up their assets to acquire star players. It's dumb. Now, does that mean they should have traded Marcus Smart for Aaron Gordon? No. If the only deal that Orlando would have taken included Marcus Smart, then I understand not making that trade. Okay, so let's be very clear about that. I understand not making dumb trades. But in the whole history of Danny Ainge, which by the way, again, like 13 years since they won a title, you're going to literally tell me that there wasn't one trade that he could make that would have helped that team? That he couldn't have given up Marcus Smart? Like, Marcus Smart's only been there a few years. Like, (laughs) there are plenty of scenarios in which Boston could have truly upgraded that they chose not to. They made one move. They got Kyrie Irving. And then they let him walk for nothing, essentially. Let's just stop pretending that Danny Ainge is the best GM in the league. Okay. He has one title in like 20 years. I'm going to I'm going to make a really bold fucking statement right now. I guarantee you that if you let me GM a team for 20 years, I could win a championship. Okay? Yeah, I think that. I fucking believe that. I think that if you took any of us in NBA Twitter who loved this game to death and gave us 20 fucking years, we could win a championship. Okay? So please stop trying to tell me about how Danny Ainge is Trader Danny, genius Danny, whatever. Just stop. 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 Okay? He's mediocre at best. He does a good job winning trades. He doesn't do a good job winning championships. And I'll and I'll tell you what. If Brown and Tatum, who are awesome, lead the Celtics to a multitude of championships, then I will be very impressed. And I will say that it is incredible that Danny Ainge built a dynasty. And I'm still going to wonder. What happened in the eight years between 2010 and like 2018 where he couldn't be a good GM? (laughs) Okay. I don't understand how eight years get thrown away. That shit matters. And don't give me the like, well, in the 2012 Eastern Conference Finals, if your argument is literally that Rondo should have beaten LeBron in his prime, come on. He's a decent GM. Okay. Not great. Not right. It's just what it is. Nobody can be a GM for 20 years with one ring and explain to me how they're the best in the game. I don't want to fucking hear it. 
Pat Riley has built my rebuilt Miami more times than Danny Ainge has done anything. So just stop, stop, please. I don't want to hear it. Before we got onto the two remaining moves that were really interesting, there were two other moves that were sort of, but well, they were sort of interesting, but not really. And that's the Rondo Lou Williams trade. Rajon Rondo for Lou Williams. And it's interesting because you can sort of understand why the Clippers made this trade. Because everyone agreed the Clippers don't have a point card. But, like, no one would agree that Rondo is the point guard. Until the playoffs. And then everyone might be like, oh yeah, Rondo's the point guard. (laughs) It's just, Rajon Rondo is one of the most interesting dudes in the world. And he is proof positive that... Regular season basketball and playoff basketball have, like, nothing to do with each other, especially in the NBA. Like, regular season Rajon Rondo is, I mean, he has his moments, right? Like, national TV Rondo, right? You know, that's something. But playoff Rondo is a whole other dude. His shooting percentages are better. He's an elite passer. He tries harder on defense. It just is what it is. Rondo plays way harder on defense, and there's no way to, like, the Clippers are 100% betting on playoff Rondo, and good for them. Like, it's not a terrible move, because playoff Lou Williams sucks. It's a little interesting for the Hawks to make this move. I mean, they have a history with Lou Williams, but it's like, here's a dude that, it's, (laughs) I mean, Rondo wasn't playing for them, and it was probably either this or buy him out, right? Because... There's no scenario in which Rondo has a long-term future on your team. Like, all of us knew the whole Rondo-Atlanta signing was stupid. Literally all of us. So, I mean, this trade makes some sense. Lou Williams is bad in the playoffs. The Clippers need a point guard in the playoffs. This makes sense. Like, it makes a lot more sense for the Clippers than it does for the Hawks. And... You know, Lou Williams may just be a spark plug that has a couple of effects in playoff games and, you know, who knows here and there. But it's just interesting that Rondo is a guy who, (laughs) like, you look at him in the regular season and you're like, this dude is not who I want. But then you look at the Lakers playoff run last year and you're like, holy shit, he was awesome. And it's just, I... NBA playoff basketball and NBA regular season basketball are not the same. And Rondo has way more value in one than the other. And the Clippers took advantage of that. And the Hawks got a guy who can get buckets at any time in exchange for a dude who had no desire to be there. So we all knew that Rondo wasn't going to finish the season on the Hawks. And, well, there you go. So, whatever. The other sort of whatever trade was J.J. Redick and Nicola Melli. From the Pelicans to the Mavericks for James Johnson, Wes Awundu, and a second round pick. The Mavs are coming on lately and, you know, losing Seth Curry hurt them. There are a lot of people who would defend the Seth Curry, you know, Josh Richardson trade. And Richardson has been better lately and he, whatever, I I don't care. I, I still would rather have Seth Curry than Josh Richardson. That's just how I feel. And... We'll see how that comes in the playoffs. Maybe 
the playoffs will prove me wrong. But if you were going to lose Seth Curry and add Josh Richardson, and then you were going to try to add another player to approximate what Seth Curry could do, I mean, J.J. Redick is probably about as good as you could get. Now, let's be clear. This man is not what he once was. This is not the J.J. Redick of old. And, you know, as far as the Pelicans go, this was just, uh, you know, we'll get a second-round pick in Wessa Wundu and James Johnson's matching salary. Like, this isn't a... You know, they were about to buy out J.J. Redick. So, I guess, like, if you... Theoretically, think West Wundu might be something, and the second round pick. I mean, it's you know, it's whatever. Um, James Johnson is obviously not going to play really at any point. Um, the only team he ever really had any potential of playing for was for Miami, just because of his unbelievable strength. And I mean, they're the ones that gave him the contract. In any case, that trade's fine. Um, putting another shooter around. Doncic is always a good idea, especially given what Seth Curry did. Um, if you can find ways to create lineups around Doncic, Redick, and Richardson, I think that's actually really interesting because you got one defender, one ball handler, and one shooter. You know, Doncic and Redick are not, you know, elite defenders, but I still think that if you can put together a top tier, like, best in the league type offense, you're going to do that. So I think this trade makes a lot of sense. You know, Awundu and Johnson weren't going to do a whole lot, and there's just really no way to argue that a second-round pick isn't an acceptable trade for a player you wanted. So good move for the Mavericks and, you know, for the Pelicans. If you were about to do to buy a dude out and you got a second-round pick, then yeah, fine, whatever. The remaining two trades were fairly significant. Aaron Gordon to the Nuggets for R.J. Hampton, Gary Harris, and a 2025 top five protected first-round pick. That trade I thought is very interesting. I mean, Aaron Gordon, I said here that I thought it would be very interesting as a fit with the Celtics. I thought that I was worried the Suns might overpay for him. That was really kind of the thing I was worried about. I was worried the Suns might package a couple of young players I really liked in some picks and just overpay for Aaron Gordon. I didn't want them to do that. They didn't. Good for them. Um, this trade overall, though, I think makes a lot of sense. Um, Orlando gets a young guard, which they need. They get a future pick, which could be valuable. Who knows? And, you know, Gary Harris, I'm salary filler. He's not ever really worked out to be what anyone really hoped from him. But um, I'm honestly surprised. I thought that the Magic could do a little better than this in terms of the trade. I'm surprised. The top five pick on like the 2025 draft. I'm surprised they weren't able to get this unprotected. It really shows that the Magic were simply just ready to tear this thing down because they accepted multiple picks with protections. They they were just really to be ready to be done with this thing. And if it didn't work out, that was fine. The Magic were just ready to be done, and multiple teams took advantage. And I think that you know the Jokic Gordon pick and roll is going to be awesome. You know, I think that. Like, truthfully, they can probably run that either way. I think that Aaron Gordon fits in perfectly for what they want to do. And, you know, as much as I said that I thought that Kyle Lowry was kind of the perfect deadline acquisition for the Nuggets, I outlined before how, you know, there was a trade around um, 
you know, essentially, well, Gary Harris, a first round pick and, you know, probably RJ Hampton, <laughs> you know, a really similar trade, maybe a little bit more money um, for Kyle Lowry. But this Aaron Gordon trade makes a lot of sense. And it also makes a lot of sense with their timeline, because if you sit here and say, OK, we're not trading Jamal Murray, obviously we're going to extend Jokic. Aaron Gordon fits in. And, you know, when you look at you know, Michael Porter Jr., you know, well, there, there you go. I mean, that's kind of their core four is it's probably, assuming this works out, it's going to be Murray, Porter Jr., um, Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Jokic, and then, you know, Monty Morris or Compazzo, whoever the hell it is, ends up being their long-term point guard. Um, or, you know, Jamal Murray ends up being their long-term point guard and they find, a you know, a shooting two-guard next to him. But the point is, this is a big term big time move for Denver that, you know, pretty much locks them in long term. I mean, I don't think there's any scenario in which you acquire Aaron Gordon and you don't have long term plans for him. Now, I know that he doesn't have like a five year contract at this point or anything, but I don't really think you make this move if you're Denver, if you don't think that you want to keep Aaron Gordon. Um, And truthfully, I really think that Aaron Gordon fits in well with what they want. And I think that that sort of settles their positional issues. I mean, Jokic is your center, Gordon is your four, and, you know, Michael Porter Jr. is your three. I mean, maybe you, I, I you know, I, I suppose you could argue that those two both have some positional whatever, but, you know, I think it works for them being your two forwards. And, you know, you just have to decide, is Jamal Murray my point guard or is Jamal Murray my two guard? You know, if he's my point guard, Let's find a shooter off him. If he's my two guard, let's find a guy to handle the ball more. And again, maybe that's Monty Morris. There's a lot of possibility for Denver. But, you know, there's no way to argue this is a bad trade because they gave up a young, completely unknown player. They gave up a protected first round pick and they gave up a player that, you know, quite frankly, whose salary they wanted to get off of. So, as much as it pains me to say this, as a Suns fan, this is a home run for Denver. This is a trade you make 100 times out of 100. If I thought the Suns could have made a trade like this for Aaron Gordon, I would have been, you know, all for it. But, you know, in this scenario, Denver makes, you know, again, they use assets that didn't necessarily have a ton of value to them, and they got off a salary for a player they wanted. Like, there's no way that that's not a home run for Denver. And then as far as Orlando goes, like, I just kind of think, I actually think, like, you probably could have got a better deal from Phoenix, and I didn't want Phoenix to overpay, but, like, just truthfully, like, you might have been able to price something more having dealt with other teams, and maybe it was simply that other teams were simply not interested, and, you know, Aaron Gordon didn't have the value that we thought. You know, there are those possibilities, but, um, you know, this, uh, to me, this is like a B-plus for Denver and a C for the magic, because I, you know, I think Aaron Gordon has enough trade value. Here's the interesting thing about the NBA is that player value and trade value are different things. How good a player is versus how good that trade, that player's trade value is. Those are, those are totally different things. And I think that despite the fact that Aaron Gordon hasn't been quite what anyone expected, I think his trade value is still really good because I think all of us sort of expect he would be a little bit better in a better situation. I think that's something that a lot of people think whether or not it's true is another scenario. But again, trade value and player value are just different things. And I think it's, 
I think Denver completed this trade for Aaron Gordon's player value, not his trade value. I think it's a great trade for that. I think that, you know, I, I think there was another young prospect or another pick involved to get exactly what Orlando wanted. And I think that Denver successfully avoided that. And it's not that I don't like RJ Hampton, but, or that, you know, Denver's 2025 pick, I mean, who knows? But the point is that Orlando wanted a lot more. And, you know, there are scenarios in which teams just end up keeping their players in those situations. But Denver got them to successfully complete the trade without giving up anything that destroyed their future. And so it's just a win for Denver, no matter how you view it. The thing I find smartest about this trade for Orlando is that, like, look at what happened with the Drummond situation in Detroit. They eventually had to trade him for basically nothing. And now Cleveland has bought him out and, you know, he's listening to pitches and he'll go where he goes. But in this scenario... Orlando has, maybe we'll trade Aaron Gordon, maybe we'll keep Aaron Gordon, maybe we'll trade him. Maybe we, you know, they're going back and forth a bunch of times. But in this scenario, they said, hey, you know what? We got a first-round pick and a young prospect will take it. And maybe it won't turn out as well as they hoped. But there are scenarios that involved Orlando holding out way too long on this and ending up with like basically nothing. So there's really no way to look at, again, a prospect and a first-round pick is bad. The simple fact of the matter is, is that when you make these trades, especially of, you know, a mid-level player, a good, not great player, it's a total crapshoot. It could be great. It could be terrible. You don't know. When you trade a superstar, it almost always ends up poorly. When you acquire a superstar, it almost always ends up in your favor. That's just, you know, that's how it goes, right? But these sort of mid-level player trades, like, who the hell knows, like, it could be anything. And the simple fact of the matter is, is Orlando did what they could. It wasn't horrible. I just don't hate this trade for either team. Again, I think that I think they could have done a little better, but what Orlando has on their side, despite my negative grade, what's what's in their advantage is that you could have played this a lot worse. And I think the one thing about trade grades is that we look at them as well, this is what we think of day of, but that's not actually how it works, right? Because everything that occurs in the remaining years affects all of that. Like you could have Orlando flip RJ Hampton for something that ends up being much better. Like you just don't know how these things end up, right? There are always scenarios that alter the long-term outcome of trade grades. So like I say, this is a bad trade for Orlando today, but on the flip side of that, what I'm saying here these last couple of minutes is just that, yeah, it's not perfect, but I also don't know what else Orlando could have done. You Again, you might have been able to fight a little better for the protections on a 2025 pick, and maybe you should have. But from Orlando's perspective, you got a young prospect and a first-round pick. It's hard to argue that. So again, this is one of those trades where I've... Let's be honest. When you're acquiring the known player, you typically win, right? I know what Aaron Gordon is going to provide next to Murray and Jokic. So 
you're going to win that. And when you're acquiring young or unknown assets, you're probably going to lose. I get that. So again, I, I'm not I'm not deviating from what I said. I'm just saying if you look at it from a devil's advocate perspective, from Orlando's perspective, you got about as much as you could get. Maybe you could have argued for slightly better protections, but not terrible. So look at everything from all perspectives. We got to fight it all, but I just I do think it's interesting that even given what I think about the trade, I can understand kind of why Orlando did what they did. So, yeah. And then the final trade that was, well, really regarded as the disaster of all disasters is Victor Oladipo going to Miami for Kelly Olenek, Avery Bradley, and a draft swap in 2022. Now, number one, the likelihood that uh, Houston is going to be better than Miami in 2022 is, it's, you know, so that draft swap is nothing. So it's really Victor Odipo for Kelly Olenek and Avery Bradley, which, you know, everyone is dogging the whole, this is ultimately what they got for James Harden, and everyone's looking at it that way. And they should. This is pathetic. This has been pathetic. Okay? Let's be really honest. Houston had Ben Simmons on the table. And they chose to ignore that. And they chose to go with the idea of picks and packages and players and prospects and this and that and the other. And this is it, man. Houston's got a couple of this, a couple of that, a few of these, a few of that. It's nothing, man. Houston traded a gourmet kitchen for a pantry full of some stuff. That's legit what it was. And the simple fact of the matter is, is we all know you can keep James Harden. I understand that. I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to say that they should never have traded James Harden. The writing was on the wall. We all knew it. James wanted to be elsewhere. It's fine. But they didn't like necessarily take the best package. Number one, it seems like they tried to accommodate James Harden, which, <laughs> given everything that happened, I don't know why you would do that. Like, so I kept floating the idea that I thought that James Harden would be traded to the Warriors because of a lot of different gambling things that I saw. And it turns out that that was actually a really very discussed thing. It was on the table. But supposedly, Kevin Durant, told James Harden, hey, you don't want to play for Steve Kerr. And the whole Kevin Durant and Steve Kerr has come out in recent weeks, and for sure. <laughs> I'm just curious. Did those discussions really, like, those discussions really hinged on, like, how James Harden felt about that? Like, the Rockets would have traded him to the Warriors. But it seems like the Warriors were so worried that James Harden might leave in a year and a half. They didn't want to pair him with Steph Curry. Like, you could also fire Steve Kerr. Like, has he proven to be such an elite coach? No, he hasn't. Like, that's weird. And the whole Ben Simmons thing, like, how would... 
you're trading into a team with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and I know those dudes are getting older, but like their games are probably going to age fairly well. And also, dudes are going to sign up to play with them. And you want all their picks and swaps rather than Ben Simmons? Like, I don't really care what anyone says about anything. The Rockets chose picks over Ben Simmons and James Wiseman. That's facts. There's a deal they could have constructed with the Warriors that would have involved James Wiseman and Andrew Wiggins. And the Warriors would have done the deal regardless of what James Harden thought. It might have involved fewer picks and swaps, but like the Rockets would have gotten a young, like blue chip type prospect in Wiseman. And if you don't think Wiseman's that good, you're not watching. And that's fine. But Wiseman's awesome. And the same thing for Simmons. He's older than Wiseman, obviously, but like Simmons is in the running for defensive player of the year. And the whole, well, Simmons and John Wall don't fit together. (laughs) As much as I championed John Wall and Oladipo together, like, fuck them. Like, just truthfully, like, if you don't want John Wall around, then fuck John Wall. Buy him out. Trade him for nothing. Whatever you have to do, like, you can always find ways out of these things. And the Rockets have basically chosen no talent, all picks. And that's because, you know, their owner sucks. And I I do want to say one mea culpa. I sat here and I said that I thought that John Wall and Victor Oladipo would be cool. And again, I'm going to just call you out again. My man Jabari, you said it. Yeah, this is bullshit. They're going to trade Victor Oladipo by the trade deadline. This is all about tearing the team down. Well, there you go. And this is exactly what has happened. And, you know, the team sucks. And it's disappointing. And it's disappointing to see ownership that doesn't care about the team at all. And that's where we are. That's the whole situation. Everyone thought that they were going to try to dump the team and, you know, turn them into nothing. And I was like, no, let's believe in the idea of whatever. And this is just me being a gullible idiot yet again. Interesting enough, yet again, me believing in ownership or believing in a team when I sit here and claim that you can't believe in any of those people embarrassing for me. Nonetheless, let's lay my embarrassment bare and call these things what it is. Oladipo hasn't been great in two years. I understand that. But if you're going to tell me that Miami isn't the perfect environment for that dude to succeed, I'm going to tell you that you're not paying attention. Miami is all about working yourself to the bone. So is that dude. And maybe he hasn't been who he's been. Okay, fine. He had one all pro season. And maybe we shouldn't anticipate that he'll ever be that guy again. But if there's any organization that could extract that guy, Miami's the one. It's smart. As far as Houston goes, again, the draft swap is nothing. So you got Kelly Olynyk and Avery Bradley, who... <laughs> Everything Houston does is terrible. And by the way, Let's not forget the guy running Minnesota, who also has been terrible, is Gerson Rosas, who came from Minnesota. Excuse me, who came from Houston. I made that slip up on my own, but me making slip ups when I'm stoned and drunk compared to the slip ups that these organizations make is embarrassing. I make a slip up on a podcast and it's funny. They make a slip up 
in their organization and they cost themselves for years. And that's actually the point I was making. Full circle, that's what this guy is able to do. Rosas goes to Minnesota and has done essentially everything wrong since then. He had to change his own coaching hire midway through. He's been lambasted for the draft picks that he's made. He signed a player who is suspended. Like, just truthfully, I'm not actually sure that anyone learned anything working in Houston. I mean, Sam Hinkie's tenure in Philadelphia was so hated that he's not in the league anymore. So, it's a little bit interesting the way these things go. It's... <laughs> Daryl Morey reminds me a lot of Bill Belichick. You know, you look at Bill Belichick's coaching tree and you're like, wow, that's terrible. No one has been able to replicate what Daryl Morey has done. And you look at the disasters in Houston and you look at the disaster in Minnesota and you think, oh boy, that's the Daryl Morey tree. And maybe Philadelphia is thriving, but every single thing that Houston has done in the last couple of years, essentially since Tillman Fertitta took over, has been a fucking disaster. And I feel for all of my Houston friends, we just are where we are. And we need to get rid of that motherfucker. But until that happens, I'm sorry to my Houston friends. You are the Phoenix Suns, circa 2011. A dumpster fire. Sorry. And that is the Blunt Doctor Show. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the moves that your team made or did not make. But most of all, enjoy the sport. And peace to you and yours.